1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert from REMAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. And we begin today with details of the 1% vacancy tax. Asif. We do, and that's right, Tina. Joining us is Shale Rothman from realestatelawyers.ca. Shale, welcome back to On The Market. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Shell, earlier this week, we learned about the 1% vacancy, vacancy tax that is going to apply. Is it right across Canada? There's uh, multiple taxes. So there's a federal 1% tax uh, that only applies to foreigners. Uh, there are the other exceptions, but you would speak to your accountant with that regard. And the GTA, um, it applies to Toronto, and there's also a 1% tax in Ottawa at this time. And so how does it work? Who does it apply to? So it applies to all properties. So I'll deal with Toronto, but it's similar in the other areas. So it applies to anyone who has a vacant property for more than six months during the year. So what would end up happening is you would have to self-evaluate. You'd have to file with the City of Toronto the necessary declaration forms in order to indicate whether or not you fall within an exception Uh, For example, it's your principal residence, you have tenants in there, for another example, um, or that you've had it completely vacant. If it is a vacant property for more than six months, then the 1% tax would be applicable at that point in time. And what is that 1% tax based on? Is that current market value? Is there a a system where they're going to evaluate the properties? Is it from MPAC? Where do they get that number from? It's based on the municipal assessment that they've received. Um, the City of Toronto should be sending um, correspondence to all homeowners. Um, if you don't get that, it doesn't mean that you don't have to file. Just simply go on to Google and type in the Toronto Vacant Home Tax and you'll find it online. Uh, you would need your 21-digit uh, assessment roll number as well as your 6- to 9-digit customer number in order to complete that online. But you do have to file. If you're late, uh, there is a $250 filing fee. Um, Now, of course, because this is just rolling out, they might be a little lenient in terms of the first year, but after that, you can be assured they're going to charge you. And, and Shale, what's the purpose of this tax? Is it just a money grab? My understanding is is that uh, there seems to be a housing shortage um, with respect to having tenancies. And the goal here is, is that if there are foreigners or other individuals who have bought based on speculation, and they're holding their units vacant, the idea behind it is to try to push um, those individuals to renting out those units in order to be able to um, have other individuals with homes over their heads as opposed to there being even more shortages. Now, of course, Asif can probably speak to that better than I can, being an expert in the the market for for that type of inventory, Uh, but that's my understanding as to why it was implemented in the first place. And Cheryl, how does one self-declare? What do they have to prove uh, if they're snowbirds and they're traveling? Maybe they're gone for four or five months. How do they prove that they're here for a longer period of time than uh, 180 days? 
Well, remember, it's the declaration to the government, similar to your, your income tax. So you self-assess, you end up uh, filling out the, the forms, whether it be online or through the mail, and you, uh, you check the necessary boxes that apply to you or the exemption. Just know that, for, I'll give you an example, if you buy a property and you're renovating, um, and you end up saying, okay, well, this applies to me and I should have an exemption. Well, you need to have a permit. So at some point, the government may audit you and come back. So you want to have that permit on hand. Or if someone has passed away in a property and the property is vacant, if there's an audit, again, they may not audit you, but you would want to have a death certificate on hand in your file in order to be able to present that to the government. Um, there's not a huge amount of particulars with respect to the necessary documents they would ask for audits. Um, so just use as much common sense as possible for your given circumstance. Um, so your snowbird example, okay, well, maybe you want to just scan in your, your tickets as to when you were leaving and when you were arriving. That way you have it in a file so that if you have to prove it, you have it uh, easy on hand. And Shale, are there other cities where this vacancy tax is already in play and has it helped in terms of creating or providing more affordable housing? Um, well, because my, my area of expertise would be in the Ottawa area, sorry, sorry the Ontario um, area. So that deals with the Ottawa tax as well as the Toronto tax. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's made any difference whatsoever in terms of the units, um, that part, unfortunately, I can't speak to. Um, all I know is that there was a lot of uncertainty with respect to how this was being implemented, etc. So everyone is getting back up to speed in order to educate the market, um, in order to make sure that people are following the declarations properly and in a timely manner uh, to ensure that they're not going to be um, hit with a late fee. One thing that I do want to emphasize, though, is that if you're in a situation where you are doing these declarations, please make sure that um, you're disclosing 100% the truth. Uh, the penalties are up to $10,000 if it's found out at a later point in time that you lied on the form. Plus, they'll charge you interest on the amount that you owed. And how does this uh, relate to short-term rentals? Do they still get lumped in with leases if you have a longer-term lease, or is it something different? Um, my recommendation if somebody came to my office on that would be document everything. It still would apply. Short-term rental, There's, uh, I don't believe there's a, an exception for short-term rental, so you would want to make sure that you're calculating how long tenants are coming in for the period of time, add up, it needs to be at least the six months. Um, the default even for the federal is 180 days, but be overly cautious and make sure you're over the six months period and uh, just be very, very careful. Um, because you mentioned short-term rentals, even in that particular scenario, if you're selling, there's different tax rules um, like HST, for example, that would apply. So. Make sure you're speaking to your legal professionals as well as the uh, your accountants to make sure that you're not caught on the wrong side of things. Yeah, and that was my question. Where do they find the documents? Is it, is it on the City of Toronto website, for example? Uh, I know that when we went through um, and we Googled uh, the Toronto Vacant Home Tax, there, there was documentation on the City of Toronto that we found. Um, that's how we got access to it, and we had the link that we shared to our clients for both the Ottawa market, as well as the Toronto market. As realtors, should we be putting something into our agreements when we're either purchasing or leasing or uh, selling units for a self-declaration, or is that something that the consumer would have to do on their own? 
the consumer is supposed to do that on their own. Um, as best practices, I would encourage real estate agents, if you're purchasing or you're working with a client that is in the uh, GTA, but specifically Toronto, Scarborough, et cetera, um, or the Ottawa market, it, it's good to be flagging that for them. Um, of course, their lawyer, in my opinion, should be flagging that, that for them as well. Um, at my firm, we have that as part of the intake where we're actually um, providing the links to the clients, reiterating it multiple times just to make sure that they have that information. Um, but once you provide that information, it is the responsibility of that client um, to self-assess on a yearly basis. And Sheila, if people have more questions about the vacancy tax or how it applies to them or if it applies to them, how do they reach you? Uh, by email, it's rothman at realestatelawyers.ca or you can contact uh, the office toll-free at uh, 1-866-466-3801. Sheila, thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having me. Have a great day. After the break, we talk mortgage rates. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan, from Remax Prime Properties with today's next guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us again is Colin Mason from The Mortgage Domain. Colin, welcome back to On the Market. Hi, thanks for having me. Colin, so much has been happening in the mortgage space over the last year and a half or so, so many increases. How has 2023 started off and what are you starting to see in the market from the consumer perspective? Uh, well, uh, we've definitely seen, uh, we anticipated the rates were going to go up uh, in late January uh, on the, the variable rates, prime rate, uh, which it, they did a quarter percent. There was some encouraging news that they uh, are expected that perhaps they won't make a, another change for uh, the time being. So that has definitely uh, trickled down to the, the buyers. They're starting, we're starting to see a lot more multiple offers, which I know you you've been seeing, um, and it's really starting to pick up quite a bit. Uh, and we've seen some, uh, you know, competing on uh, properties that are uh, aggressively priced and they're going for over the, the asking price. So, And what about our listeners, Colin, that are, you know, dealing with a mortgage renewal, unfortunately? How, how do you navigate that? How do you manage it? Because, you know, with the rates going up, it's not the best time to be renewing your mortgage. Uh, well, a lot of the people that are renewing now are coming out of five-year terms, so they're not quite uh, the, the rates are not quite as bad as uh, as somebody that maybe took their mortgage for a you know a one year, a year and a half, or like a, a one year uh, a year ago or so. Um, so it's not quite uh, as shocking to them. Um, the rates have come down, fixed rates have come down quite a bit, um, well I shouldn't say quite a bit, but they have come down uh, noticeably uh, over the last three or four months. So, uh, and they weren't, uh, you know, the, the rate increases that we're seeing and the, the hype is all about the prime lending rate. So the, the fixed rates have not 
uh, obviously they went up and they're considerably higher than they were a year and a half ago, but um, they're, they have come down quite quite notably. So anybody coming up for a renewal that's coming out of a five-year term, uh, sure, the rate is going to be a little higher than uh, what, it, what they're coming out of, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, a significant blow. Um, and also, the stress test was put in place to help um, with, with this very thing, right? The, there was an anticipation that rates were going to go up during, um, uh, you know, a five-year term. So, uh, although it may not have happened, the fact that it, it, it has happened, they, in theory, they're protected by the stress test originally. So as long as they haven't run up a lot of additional debt and changed their cash flow situation significantly, um, you know, obviously in excess of what the uh, you know the price of eggs and so on is has dictating, but um, uh, they should be okay. And Colin, for our listeners that are getting calls from their bank to lock in to rates because of the threat of the variable rising up again. What's your best advice to someone receiving these calls? I would say do your homework. Uh, obviously, talk about uh, talk to a mortgage professional. If it's if it's your banker, that's fine. Obviously, I lean towards the mortgage broker side. I think that uh, we're not uh, typically the mortgage brokers are not going to be trying to um, uh, direct the client specifically into a product. They're going to be looking out for the best for the client. Um, and have more options for them. Colin, tell us about the lending options for our listeners. What is an A or B lender? What does that mean? Uh, well, there's actually quite a few ways of describing it. The A lenders are comprised of banks and other what we call monoline lenders. They're still A lenders, but they're not your traditional big five bank kind of lenders. Uh, I won't mention any of the names, but uh, your mortgage brokers are able to provide options for you that are still A. In, in many instances, those A lenders that are not that don't fall into the bank category offer lower rates than what the banks are able to offer, and we're finding that quite a bit now. So those are options. They're still under the A category. The B options are lenders that are a little bit more flexible when it comes to how they look at the income. Uh, of a client, or maybe they're a little bit more flexible on the credit history. They charge more for the the interest rates are a little higher, but they are still a viable option for for clients uh, that are looking. In many instances, what we typically try to do is, if a client ultimately, if we have to put them into a, a B lender, um, you know, we you can call it Plan B. I don't really like to put the B. Um, description on it because it almost, uh, you know, it sounds like it's a negative connotation to it. But what we typically try to do, though, is if we do have a client that has to go with one of these other lenders, is we say, you know, this is how we're, we create an exit strategy to get them to an A lender uh, and get them those lower rates. So, um, but the B lenders serve a very important uh, function in the market because they do, you know, could be the difference between somebody being able to purchase a property uh, and not. And, you know, there's also private lenders and private lenders serve the same function, uh, but just, you know, that further, a little bit further down the road as to um, they're a lot more flexible on the qualification. But again, if you are going to go with any of those routes, any of those options, you know, whether it be private or a B lender, ask your mortgage broker 
about what your exit strategy is. You should really have a, a plan to get you out. Uh, I would never recommend that somebody buys a property and just continues to have a private mortgage indefinitely. You always try to get, uh, you know, get you to a B lender and then get you into an A lender ultimately. And Colin, when the rates first started to go up, there was a lot of chatter about people being forced to sell because they wouldn't be able to afford their homes and there was going to be a lot of power of sales that would hit the market. And we haven't seen that. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think there was a little bit of hopeful thinking for some people that were looking to get uh, really good deals. Um, uh, I think, I'm, look, I'm sure that there were people out there that uh, were right on the edge and, and maybe that did push them over the top. But um, we, in our side, on our side, we have not seen a significant, or sorry, we haven't seen an influx of, of people just, uh, you know, uh, panic selling. Um, I think, you know, you and I have discussed on numerous occasions to, never to underestimate the resolve of, of a homeowner. You know, it's, uh, it's where they live. It's, uh, where their family is, so they're going to do a lot of things. If they are finding it tough to make those mortgage payments, they're going to try to think of many solutions, scale back their lifestyle, perhaps rebudget, cut back on certain things that they, you know, maybe they don't go on a vacation this year or whatever the case may be, part-time jobs if they need to in order to make things uh, happen. But, you know, a lot of people uh, remembering that the market, although it has, has dropped in terms of the value of the properties have dropped year over year, but if you take a look at, you know, some of the people that have had mortgages even for, you know, within their five-year term, they're, they have a lot of equity that's accumulated over the last five years. So, you know, it's not, it's not doom and gloom f- for them. There's other ways that they can pull some of that equity out, uh, uh, and, and make it work for them until, uh, the rates come back down to something that they're are a little bit more manageable. And just before we wrap things up, what is the most common question or your or concern that you're hearing from your clients? I think really rates is you know it, it's uh, it, it is obviously a concern. Um, I think when we sit down and take the time to explain what. People don't really understand what rates, what they, what they mean. Like, you know, if rates go up by a quarter of a point, it sounds scary. In many instances, it, it could be, like I mentioned earlier, it could be, uh, you know, damaging to somebody's financial situation if they're right at the capacity. But when we sit down with people and say, well, you know, this is what it actually looks like in terms of a mortgage payment. This is what it's going to look like for you moving forward. Uh, we're able to... Um, ease some of that stress for them. But I think overall, though, definitely rates are the biggest concern, particularly with home, new home buyers that are trying to figure out, you know, we want to get into the housing market. You know, uh, rates are higher, but prices are a little lower. But we're starting to see prices are going up. Uh, and, you know, rates are starting to, I think maybe we've seen the worst of it. So I think right now is a bit of a pivot point. Uh, I think you're going to start to see a lot more uh, people jumping on the, uh, you know, the home buying wagon. And I think it's ultimately going to result in uh, uh, a more steady uh, in- housing price increase. And Colin, for our listeners that want more information or maybe even a second opinion about their rate or renewal, how do they contact you? Uh, the easiest way to con- contact me directly, uh, I just give my, I'll give my cell phone number. It's 416-676-6777, and uh, you can call or text me to that number. And if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to discuss them with, with you. Thanks, Colin. We'll have you back on again soon, hopefully. 
Thank you very much. When we come back, your questions for Asif Khan. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Time now for our email questions. And we begin with Laura in Richmond Hill. She writes, I am a recent university grad in my late 20s, and I just started full-time employment. What is your advice to help me save and become a first-time homeowner? Asif? Good question, Laura. And, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different things you can do. One is the traditional way has always been you can contribute from your RRSPs. So if you have RRSPs already or are thinking of uh, investing in RRSPs, that's a good way to save money for your first-time uh, home buyer purchase. The other thing is there's something called a first-time home buyer account that you can open now and you can borrow from that tax-free. So that may be something that you want to set up right away and start start putting a portion of your income or a percentage of your income to that account from every paycheck. And that way you know that it's guaranteed to be in there and when you're ready to purchase that home, you've started a, a little fund that you can borrow from tax-free. And what is that approximate down payment that's required? I know it depends on the price of the home, but roughly... A lot of first-time home buyers will put about uh, 10% down, and that's usually a pretty good down payment. It does depend on your qualifications and how much you can afford, your income level, credit, and how much down payment you actually have So, uh, and the price of the home. So you want to be able to speak to a mortgage professional, get the gist of what you're going to uh, be qualifying for and how much down payment you'll need for that. And do you think that Laura should consider perhaps moving away from Toronto or the GTHA? Um, Is that something that, you know, maybe that generation has to look at in terms of affordability? And to get that foot in the door in terms of the real estate market, is condo the first step? Well, with condos, you also have to take into account the maintenance fees because that's going to determine your qualification as well. So you won't get approved for as high an amount because you have to factor in those maintenance fees. So sometimes a home, you know, the the saying is drive till you qualify. Mm. And uh, you may have to go a little bit further out to qualify for something uh, within your means. But it's your first step. And you can always move back closer to the city later or upgrade your home later. But it's getting your foot in the door. That's the important thing. And Asif, what's your experience with the younger home buyer? You know, are there expectations just too high? Do they have to lower them a bit? What is your sense of this? I remember when, uh, you know, we were buying our first home and, you know, you, you just want to get your foot in the, board, in the door. Uh, and, you know, if, whether it's a townhouse or a semi, or if it's further out, you go where you need to go to get into the market. And I think right now there's there are some expectations that they should be able to live in the city or they should be able to live in certain areas. And, uh, you know, that distorts the home 
buying process by putting false, uh, you know, expectations or, you know, high hopes in there and then people get frustrated. So the key is to get into the housing market as soon as you can. And whether it's within a half hour drive or 45 minute drive or an hour drive from work, you want to be able to do that because the, as we've seen over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, the best investment is home ownership. And we want to see as many young people get into home ownership as possible. And it's not just about being able to get into the market now, is it? You have to be able to carry that home, that mortgage, and all of the expenses that go along with it. You really do, and especially with interest rates going up. The stress test does help qualify, as uh, as we heard Colin saying earlier. The stress test has helped. It has done its job. And, you know, if the rates do go up like they did, people are still certain that they're going to be able to afford that home. But you have to manage all of your other expenses and keep those in check to make sure that you can still make those home payments if interest rates continue to climb. Yeah, and it's a bit of a learning curve, right, and finding that balance. It really is. And, you know, our our first uh, uh, look is, you know, as soon as you buy a house, you want to furniture, you want to get the big TV, you want to get the cars. You have to make sure that, uh, Hmm. you know, you can make those home payments before you go out and get those. The biggest mistake you can do is as soon as you buy a house, before it even closes, you don't go out and buy furniture, you don't go out and buy that big screen TV. You have to make sure that you can close on that property because any of the other purchases are going to change your ratios and you may not even qualify for that home anymore. Our next question comes from Mary in Markham. She says, my home was on the market late last year, but when we did not receive a serious offer, we decided to take it off the market. We are now planning to list later this spring. Will our back and forth in 2022 hurt our chances to sell this year? I don't necessarily think it'll hurt your chances to sell this year because it's a different set of buyers that are out there. The ones that have gone through your home already may not have wanted to pay the the amount that was being asked at that time. And now with the rates maybe even coming down or at least settling down, we're going to start to see a new batch of buyers hit the market. The ones that have been sitting on the fence for the last four to six months are now getting active. They're getting pre-approved and they're going to be back in the market over the next six weeks or so. So the spring market will be pretty active, uh, a lot more active than what we saw last year. So this could be a good time for you to jump back in the market. Is there a perception though about a home that has been listed and then taken off the market? There is. And you know, people start to wonder why it didn't sell. Mm-hmm. Was there something wrong with the house? And they forget to look at all the different variables that we were faced with last year. There was so much going on last year with interest rates, with sales dropping. And, you know, there was a lot of people that just didn't want to sell for something that they didn't believe their house was worth. So if someone was sitting on a million dollar house and the offers coming in were around 900, 950,000, they would just say, I'm just going to wait for a better time to sell because there's no catalyst to make people sell. And that's what we're facing here is we don't have that catalyst that is forcing people to sell. So they're just waiting for the right time. What other advice do you have for Mary in terms of making sure that her home is priced right. I've heard you say that repeatedly, but beyond that, she's going to have to have some faith in her agent, but what else does she need to do? You really need to look at 
current pricing. A lot of people are looking mm-hmm. at 2021 pricing or early 2022 pricing, and it's not the same value out there anymore. So to sit and wait for that price, it's going to be pie in the sky thinking and you're not going to be able to sell once again. So you have to make sure you're priced for the current market. And when you're when you're selling a home and buying in the same market, it really doesn't matter because if you're getting $50,000 less for your home right now, you're going to be buying an, your next home at about $50,000 less. And that's what you have to look at. When you're buying and selling in the same market, it's a wash either way. You are, you're either going to get a really high price for your house, then you're going to pay really high, or you're going to get a lower price for your home, but you're going to buy lower as well. As a reminder, if you have questions for On The Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? And they can contact me at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.